the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? side chatters for better or worse i think it's safe to say that many of us grew up on much of what hollywood was putting down but now that we're older many of us have started to realize that maybe there's something deeper going on than just flashing lights and moving pictures it seems the sorcerers of the silver screen knew all too well that the entertainment mediums they were conjuring up do have major influence on those that absorb them and never once to let an opportunity for manipulation go to waste they've used that eight millimeter magic to seed thoughts and ideas that many times change the course of history We've seen these tools used to drum up support for unjust wars, promote fluff pieces about our philanthropic overlords, and how could they have ever eliminated hemp and marijuana without that classic reefer madness? So with a direct line into the minds of the masses, we've seen culture take many of its cues over the years from a small collection of influencers in the Southern California coast. Well, certain franchises and companies who hit all the right notes created sagas that have resonated for generations, and that's a lot of power. It's worth looking into what those messages might be and how much impact they've had, from Star Wars and Disney to Westworld and award shows. Today we're going to unpack the themes and ideas projected to the people and see if some secret subtext at the core speaks to agendas we might not know about. And with us here to do the deed is Isaac Weishop of IlluminatiWatcher.com, a returning guest we haven't heard from in quite some time. You might remember Isaac is the author of Sacrifice Magic Behind the Mic, which looks at the manipulative music industry and was the focus of our last show. And he's been very busy dissecting even more media in the meantime, releasing several videos and books on these very subjects along the way. And now on this sacred holiday of May the 4th, we talk about his most recent mind blower, the Star Wars Conspiracy, Hidden Occult and Illuminati Symbolism of Aliens in the New Age. Isaac, my good man, welcome back to the higher side, and may the fourth be with you. <laughs> Greg, what's up, man? I'm I'm super super excited to be on here. Like you said, the the symbolism, the messages hidden in media and entertainment, they make more sense the more you read the literature of the occult. Mm-hmm. And once you start piecing things together, you find out beloved tales such as star wars actually have many occult themes when we look at the duality aspects and what they mean by balancing the force (laughs) absolutely man and uh i really do like these uh, general breakdowns of movies and music and you do a great job with them mainly because i have absorbed so much of this stuff over the years but a book about star wars and the ideas behind it is definitely right up my alley it's one of the Biggest franchises on the planet, now owned by Disney, one of the biggest Hollywood companies on the planet. But uh, let's start at the beginning. What was it that really got you to look at Star Wars so deeply from this hidden agenda kind of perspective? Well, the way it started out, like most of my research projects, they start out fairly short. It might be something I noticed that catches my eye in one of the films. And I started writing about Star Wars, primarily because I watched episode seven and when I started digging into it, the article got longer and longer, and eventually it became too lengthy to put on the website. So I started making an outline of various ideas 
that we see in Star Wars that suggest maybe there is an underlying theme to be considered here. It's much like we see from, like you said in the intro there, we're talking about like Westworld. A lot of these themes, they're Luciferian or Gnostic or some kind of blend of occultism. And when we watch the Star Wars, you know, they're up to seven, eight, nine movies now. You can't deny the themes that are within the film. And look, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, I grew up on Star Wars. This is a film embedded in my brain. I've got much love for it. However, you know, that's a subjective opinion for the listener to consider is, okay, are the occult themes being presented? Am I aware of them? Are they influencing me? Are they in line with my personal values and my outlook on life and my worldview? Mm-hmm. And as painful as it is, <laughs> a lot of the ideas that I'm seeing in the Star Wars films are not congruent with my personal worldview and my personal desires of where I want to take my life. Now, mm. that's not to condemn some of these occult belief systems because, look, I've, I've read a lot of these New Age concepts. I've read a decent amount of occult material. And some of the things they talk about, I can't necessarily disagree with. But overall, when you extrapolate some of their ideas, they take you down the path of Luciferianism, which I disagree with. Hmm. Yeah, man, it, it is a tangled web for sure. And I'm not quite so sure where I stand on a lot of that stuff either. But let me ask you about George Lucas himself. Is there anything really in his early life or the forming of Lucas films that might lead one to think this wasn't completely organic or innocent, that there was a, a bigger agenda here to implant specific stuff in the culture from the get-go? So George Lucas, he he's an interesting character. When you look at his background, in my research for this book, I didn't see anything that was like particularly damning about George Lucas. Like I didn't see that he was practicing any of these occult teachings. He's not a Freemason as far as I could find out. But when you look at his background, like how he got his start, he was the cameraman at the Altamont Music Festival, which most people are familiar. This is the music festival from the late 60s. This happened in 1969. This was the concert that was supposed to be kind of like a sequel to Woodstock. And during this concert, they had the, the Hells Angels were the security guards. And while the Rolling Stones were on stage, one of the Hells Angels saw a, a man with a gun in the crowd and they ended up getting into a fight. The man got killed. And when you look at, when you break down that specific instance, which I'll do in a minute here, but first let's get to George Lucas. But when you look at this exact instance, you'll find out that there's an occult theme to be had behind all this. And when you find out that George Lucas got his start as a cameraman for the Altamont Festival for the Rolling Stones Gimme Shelter documentary, you can see that there is perhaps some kind of Luciferian influence that might have passed into him. And I realize that's, that's kind of a woo-woo statement to make. But, but let, me, let me explain a few things of why I believe this to be so. Because I've read a lot about Charles Manson. I'm, I'm fairly obsessed with the Charles Manson case and the family. <laughs> <laughs> so when you read Charles Manson's history of how the family got built up, he says they started out with kind of a more hippie vibe, you know, communal love, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he made acquaintances with some witches and he went to some black magic ceremonies in Los Angeles at a place called the Spiral Staircase. And this is the one instance, the exact moment 
that Charles Manson claims his family was possessed by evil. Now, whether you want to believe Charles Manson or not, that's kind of up to you. But like, <laughs> surely the Manson family project there spiraled out of control and into the realm of evil. So I believe my personal worldview is that there is a spiritual component to all things. So it could be very possible that at Altamont, the same evil spirit that Mick Jagger talked about, because Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, they were on stage. Uh And he said that, you know, they're playing sympathy for the devil. And he says, we always have something very funny that happens when we start that number. Because at the time, Mick Jagger was into the occult. He was following a man named Kenneth Anger. Mm-hmm. And Kenneth Anger was a, a Thelemite follower of Aleister Crowley. And Mick Jagger was actually in a couple of Kenneth Anger's films, which ironically, or not so ironically, also featured Bobby Boussoulet, who was one of the Manson family murderers, as well as Steve Grogan, Clem, another one of the Manson family murderers. They were all in Kenneth Anger's films. One of them was named Lucifer Rising. But anyways, In December 1969, at the Altamont Festival, Mick Jagger knew something was happening because he was aware of the occult practices. And he said, something very funny always happens when we start Sympathy for the Devil. And then the next song is when the murder happened, and it created this this whole backlash and fallout of the hippie movement. Hmm. And in the book, I go into even more detail on this. You find out Mick Jagger's girlfriend, Marianne Faithful, who was also a, a witch. She was in attendance. But the idea is that there is a Luciferian spirit that can be in the air. And I propose that maybe George Lucas was influenced somewhat by it when he created the story known to us as Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that he was there. And that was a, a kind of a pivotal moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you want to go even further into this, I read a book by Joel Selvin about Altamont. Because I had heard in the past that George Lucas was the cameraman there, but I wasn't able to confirm that. I watched Gimme Shelter and I actually saw him in the credits. And then I confirmed it in the book written by Joel Selvin. And in the book, it's quite curious because he says that, uh, let me pull it up here. I was just talking to a, a friend of mine about this. He says, even before the music started that day, omens could be found if one wanted to see them. Astrologers wondered why the producers had not charted the stars for the occasion, since the Woodstock producers consulted astrologers before selecting its dates. Hmm. On Saturday, December 6th, the moon was in Scorpio, the forecast as heavy days, evil tidings, acts of violence. From the beginning, there was blood on the ground. Now, we've got this astrological component. Another thing we could just throw in there is Kenneth Anger, the guy I was just talking about, the director that made these occult films. He made a film in 64 called Scorpio Rising. Again, had occult themes. But could it be that he did a little bit of predictive programming, which Mm. many of your listeners already know what predictive programming is. Right. Sort of a component of ceremonial or ritual magic where they're causing change in the universe in conformity with their own will. Hmm. And, you know, we could go on and on for days about this this whole Kenneth Anger tie-in, but the Scorpio Rising film from 64 was the antithesis to Lucifer Rising, which was made in the late 60s, released in 1972. Lucifer Rising was the film that Bobby Boussoulet was in. And Bobby Boussoulet talked about how this film was to usher in this new age and this concept of 
the crown and conquering child that Aleister Crowley was always a, a proponent of. Hmm. Yeah, man, it is an interesting thread of connections and origin for George Lucas, for sure. And let's talk about the religion of Star Wars itself, because that's really what most of this is about. Break down that for us, because I guess the argument is that this franchise was maybe designed or packaged to distribute the models that we find in secret societies and these more esoteric traditions, right? Most definitely, most definitely. So in the book, I talk about this. I think the title of the chapter is Old Religion is the New Religion. Mm-hmm. And they tell you right at the beginning of Star Wars from a, a time long ago, place far away. And the origin of this entire Star Wars tale comes from George Lucas and a man named Gary Kurtz. He was the producer. These two worked together in the past, but the overall message, if you were to take a theme away from Star Wars, if you were to analyze just the religious component of it, is that there is a belief in a global consciousness with these hidden energy fields called the Force. We see this concept with the New Age line of thought. We see it from Hitler's Nazis that were channeling energy that they called Vril. Right. You know, the real society, it's a very much an occult belief. So if people just understood that one thing about the occult and about these ideas of a global consciousness, they would immediately understand that Star Wars is, in fact, an occult tale. If you want to look further into the background of Gary Kurtz, who was just as much responsible for the writing of the Star Wars tale as George Lucas was, You know, Kurtz was a Latter-day Saint Mormon, Hmm. which not to pick on the Mormons, but their their history of the Mormon religion is rich in paganism, Freemasonry, even a little bit of witchcraft and these ceremonial magic traditions because its founder, Joseph Smith, was practicing black magic and channeling disembodied spirits. And that's the same thing we see so often because... You know, you you look at these things as a one-off and you don't really get it. But if you become consumed with reading about the history of the occult and all of these kind of dark groups, you start to see the connections here. Yeah, man, for sure. And, uh, you know, I I do feel a little bit weird when we talk about magic and conjuring and the occult as if it's all bad or evil or I, I don't know. It just feels weird because I do think there is a like a puritanical right wing Christian sort of perspective that doesn't resonate with me. And I mean, I know some people who practice magic, it can bring positivity into a person's life. And we really shouldn't forget that thousands of people were killed and tortured by the dominant authority of their day because they were using apparently very useful tools for connecting with reality in impactful ways. We do still have the drug war for that reason, but like any tool, I guess it has many uses. Absolutely. And I'm with you to a certain level, Greg. You know, people have listened to my last show I did with you. I'm not sure where I was on my journey at that time. Hmm. I'm guessing I was pretty early on still. But when I started this whole research into the quote unquote Illuminati, it started out with a plan of separating the Christian religious aspect from the understanding of what's going on. Because I was always like, I was always reading this stuff. And inevitably, the theorists go off into, you know, Bible thumping territory. And that always turned me off. Yeah. And, I, and I'm I'm a Christian and I've said it before and I'll say it again. 
I'm a terrible Christian, so do not look to me for uh, any kind of Mm. guidance on that front. But I'm also aware that, you know, some of the beliefs within the Christian faith I don't agree with. And that's where I I have my internal struggle with it, because I've found over the years that to me, from what I can tell, this quote unquote Illuminati wants to destroy all forms of religion, including Christianity. Now, is there validity to the idea that religions can cause more pain and trouble than they're worth? Sure. I see it often, mm-hmm. right? I see the same struggles that other people have. I'm not sure why the church feels the need to get into people's bedroom. They push shame upon some people. Child abuse. Child abuse. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, the cover up of the child abuse thing, which I don't know how the Catholic church, the Vatican justified that, but uh, a lot of a lot of things that really make you wonder what the right answer is. So, you know, on my personal journey, I'm trying to reconcile what's going on here. And and I'm with you, man. I, I don't condemn people that believe in ritual magic. I don't condemn even practicing Satanists because I've read some of their literature and some of the things they say I kind of agree with. Mm. You know, and I'm I'm not saying I'm a Satanist by any stretch, but right. But my journey, my my understanding of what's going on is right or wrong, they want to get rid of Christianity, they want to get rid of all religions, and they want, I believe, to instill a Luciferian doctrine into the masses, into a new evolution of mankind. Yeah, I mean, I do see that element. There seems to be like a covert initiation coming through Hollywood from people who have been through a lot of that esoteric stuff. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting that you say you're a Christian because... I grew up Catholic, and once I shed that, I really had a chip on my shoulder about anything religious. And what really I needed to do was separate Christianity and the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church is more of of an empire, a political movement in a lot of ways. And when you go really far back to the Gnostics and these people who were pagans and were practicing magic, a lot of them would consider themselves Christians. And it was the Catholic Church who said... Actually, we're going to get rid of all that, and we're going to adopt Christianity as our own, and we're going to torture and kill anyone who's giving off offerings and any of that stuff. Because, like, ancestor altars and, like, uh, making offerings to people in your bloodline, that's a very Christian thing. And that seems to be the biggest part of the Christian faith that they wanted to remove at that time. And so, I don't know, it gets very tangled up. You know, it's a very knotted history trying to sort out this and that, but it is interesting the more you do it. Yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult. And obviously that's why there's shows like yours that exist because people know they can tell something isn't quite right. And it's difficult to pinpoint what is going on, who to believe, what to trust. To me, from best I can glean is that there is this desire to reinstate some of these sort of pagan ideas of worshiping multiple deities or maybe even just channeling certain spirits, maybe going back to the stars because they think that these like alien overlords of some kind will be impressed with our abilities to enter new worlds. I mean, it's it, it goes in so many directions. The one thing that I can tell for sure that's going on that we see with the Star Wars tale is this battle over the ideas of duality, right? Mm-hmm. In the Christian belief system, it's kind of like God and man are separate, good and evil. Those are the two opposite ends. 
But the occult systems, they seem to believe that God, man, nature, good, evil, they're all the same. It's either a connection with this cosmic source or a disconnection. Either way, there's a, a sort of absolute truth in all things. And we can go into that kind of line of thought when you look at you know, Carl Jung, you look at alchemy with this idea of the rebus and the, the reconciliation of opposites that you see on the Baphomet image, you know, the goat with the boobs. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, in Star Wars, you see that because that's why they keep talking about this idea of balancing the force, because you'll, you'll notice there's supposedly a light side of the force and a dark side of the force. And the Jedi Knights are told, you know, they're the followers of the light side. And Anakin's told, hey, man, you know, you're going to be on the light side of the force. Now you can't have a family. You can't really have love. He's more or less sort of like a, a priest figure. So he screws around and does it, falls in love with Padme. They have some children. Mm -hmm. And then he uses the dark side to try to save them, which the viewers in, in episode three, when they watched that film when it came out, they walked out of the theater confused, literally confused, because here was Darth Vader, the guy who we all grew up thinking was the embodiment of evil. And you start to understand him and, and sympathize for him and, and say, well, I kind of get why he went to the dark side. Maybe it's not so evil, quote unquote. Hmm. So what the purpose of the entire Star Wars tale is, is to show us that there is no such thing as light or dark, there's only the force. Mm -hmm. And when they say balance the force, well, to the common person, they think, well, bring balance to the force. That means get rid of the dark side. Well, not, not really. I mean, if you think about it, to have equality, you got to have parts equal on each end of the, the spectrum there. So you're in equilibrium. So you would have equal parts light and equal parts dark. So you would have the force balanced, so to speak. Yin and yang. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so to me, it seems like they're pushing the same thing that the alchemists talk about with the reconciliation of opposites, the symbolism of the hermaphrodite. It's all the idea of getting rid of, rid of this kind of duality concept of good and evil. It's all okay in the right. occult worldview. Yeah, man. I, and there are a lot of little details too that are interesting, like the connection to why the Sith are called Darth, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you look at, you know, again, in these occult systems, they all seem, not all of them, but many of them seem to follow this Kabbalistic tree of life. This tree of life is this idea that the tree of life is various sephirot, which look like circles or sometimes called shells, and that God created the universe through emanations of thought that one could traverse this supposed tree of life, each sephirot gain an understanding and a mastery of the universe and progress to the next one going up the tree of life to the top, which is where the heavenly realm is. Mm -hmm. So one way you can traverse this tree of life is to take a shortcut through the center, which is a hidden sephirot, a hidden shell or node, whatever you want to call it. And that, that hidden node is called dayot or sometimes day off, which obviously lends itself to the idea of the Darth title for the Sith Lords, because the, the day off was able to shortcut through and make it to the top, which is again, to use the dark side of the force, which the Jedi Knights condemn using 
And not so ironically, Alistair Crowley warned about entering through day off because if you're not prepared to enter this dark realm, you could go mad. Mm-hmm. But uh, the day off, the hidden realm is also seen in various other works. You could argue that that Netflix series Stranger Things shows this dark side to the tree of life and the what they call the upside down. Mm-hmm. Star Wars itself, they have the Order 66, and on the dark side of the Tree of Life, there's 66 fallen angels. They call them the fallen gods. I think Kenneth Grant called them the fallen gods of the Klepoth. But anyways, the idea is you enter through this dark realm in order to understand yourself, to overcome your sort of shadow version. Alan Watts compared this to a rose being born through the manure. It's part of the individuation process that Carl Jung and and Frederick Nietzsche were researching during their times. Mm -hmm. I like that analogy, the the rose through manure. I mean, it's just an an interesting thought exercise. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, good good and evil are interesting concepts, but they are kind of human constructs because we don't think of like a tiger or a shark as evil, but they definitely (laughs) rip things apart. (laughs) <laughs> right. That's a, that's a very valid statement. <laughs> but, but yeah, the whole Star Wars tale is trying to explore this idea in not such a overt way. But, you know, if you really sit down and look at it, you can see that all this talk of duality and this dark side of the force. And then they show us Anakin, who turns out to be sort of like the rebel figure, the fallen angel, who's actually you could sympathize for. You can see the the Luciferian influence here because Lucifer, he's the fallen angel, the misunderstood hero who actually just wanted to help mankind as per the occultists. So, you know, these people, they don't look at evil the same way that most of the world does. So to them, they don't really see the harm in it, not to defend them, but in their defense. So they like these ideas of these sort of antinomian systems because they want people to explore realms of the divine and the demonic, just like the keys of Solomon. There was one for the demons, the lessers, lesser magic, I think they called it. And then one for the greater magic. And Alistair Crowley talked about using white magic or black magic, but it's both sides of the force. Both extremes can be used and they want us to acknowledge that it's not so clear cut what is good and what is evil. Right. <laughs> Man, it's deep stuff. And you mentioned the Vril earlier. I was really psyched to see you talk about the Vril and the Tule Society because that is a corpus of material that I really do love. I mean, it's a very provocative stuff. Not only do they talk about the inner earth, but also exotic energy sources and flying saucers, all in a very occult package. Super interesting, but it is hard to find... A lot of people who talk about that or know much about that little slice of the pie. Can you tell us more about the Vril and how it might tie in here as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, it's also very fascinating to me. The whole Nazi story, I mean, it just blows your mind when you read some of this stuff. And and, and for what it's worth, I do recognize that some of the Nazi belief stuff was taken a little bit out of context because there's a lot of sensationalizing of what happened there. Mm. But the fact remains that there was some heavy-duty occult influences going on. True. When you talk about the Brill specifically, you're right. There's not a lot of resources out there. I made a 
video for my YouTube channel that I took clips from a show I saw called Dark Fellowships. And in it, they talk about this Vril Society. And in fact, they even have an author in there that wrote a book about the Vril Society. This is a show that was first released, I want to say like maybe 2012, 2013. So it's been out for a while. And I, and I watched it and they were talking to a guy who was an author of a book about the Vril. I look him up. Turns out he never released a book. There's a lot of people that were talking about it in forums. I said, hey, man, what happened to this guy's book? I, you know, We wanted to read it. So it's a big mystery as to why it never got released. But a lot of the concepts they talked about on this show, again, tie us into all of these occult beliefs because the Vril Society was founded by Rudolf von Sabatendorf, who was an occultist, alchemist, Freemason, and he founded the Thule Society, which you mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. The Thule Society was, again, one of these secret societies they believed in this superior evolution of mankind. They thought that the world of Atlantis existed and that the Aryan race would be the ones to bring that back. So that's why, you know, Hitler, he took a lot of his beliefs from Helena Blavatsky's works where she talked about how there was like a master race. Mm -hmm. And that was why he was doing what he did. Everyone knows that story. But Heinrich Himmler, he was particularly interested in channeling spirits so the real society was the secret society that hitler and his nazis were able to sort of befriend and they used them for channeling extraterrestrial entities through these mediums there's a female medium named maria orsic she's kind of the most famous one but what they did was they channeled energy or information because they thought they could unlock these energy fields which Vril actually is the name of the energy, the energy field, very similar to the force. But Hitler and his and his Nazis were trying to understand how to create UFOs. So they went to the Vril Society, they channeled the information from the extraterrestrial spirits. And then what happens? The Allied forces, they saw UFOs in the sky. They called them the Foo Fighters. Hmm. So this idea of using occult practices to channel energy or information or enlightenment, it's one we see often. We see it with the Dionysian rituals. That's these ideas of, you know, meditating, dancing, drumming, trance states, sexual magic. The idea is that you can overload your physical senses and make union with these higher powers. And people do this because they think they can kind of achieve a certain higher level of consciousness, mm-hmm. which is, you know, precisely what the Vril was doing at the time. Right. Man, I love it. Yeah, it's good stuff. It it's, is. It's, it's out there, but I mean, these people believed it. We brought the Nazi scientists over. Everyone knows that story, Werner von Braun. Then various other Nazi scientists came over here to America to help our rocket program out. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the story of Jack Parsons, yep. a similar concept. He was a made jet propulsion labs, which was the predecessor to NASA. He was an occultist who actually thought he was the antichrist uh, follower of Aleister Crowley, you know, and, and, and it's just, so there's so many connections to be had with so many of the themes we've been exploring you look at l ron hubbard founder of the church of scientology he 
talked about how science fiction had a mission to get man to the stars. Hmm. And Werner von Braun had the same concepts. They both believed in the ancient astronaut theory because von Braun studied a Russian named Soykovsky, who was the first ancient alien theorist before Eric von Daniken and all that. They believe that the aliens seeded us or evolved us and they were gods in their own right. And we we're supposed to try to go make contact with them. Mm-hmm. So L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons, they do some of Crowley's ceremonial magic called the Babylon workings in 1946. Supposedly they didn't close the portal. 1947, we get Roswell and the, the start of the, the big UFO scare. Right. I think that is such an interesting through line, this idea that, through the Babylon workings and other rituals, they open portals mm-hmm. and we have some type of demons that have actually physically manifested through those portals. And they were like, oh shit, we have to find some way to explain this. And so they employed Hollywood to start making movies about aliens from outer space, created the Roswell disinformation campaign that, oh, these are just other humanoids from another planet. Meanwhile, they know damn well that it's a little bit (laughs) different than that. And I like the idea of this uh, aliens as demons theme in sci-fi. I guess one thing that's about that particular mode of thought that confuses me is the fact that the majority of alien depictions in films are generally evil and destructive. I guess if it was all E.T. and Chewbacca, I could see a very clear narrative that they're trying to get us to accept these beings. But if it's about welcoming and accepting demonic entities, why so many movies like Mars Attacks and uh, Alien Attack movies from the 50s and Independence Day and Alien? There's so many negative depictions of these beings that that narrative of like trying to get us to accept them, it gets confusing to me. But I guess maybe the point is just to convince us that they came from space. Right. And that's been my latest research I've been doing is reading a lot of books about this alien phenomenon. I believe people are seeing these things. I believe they're experiencing these things. There's far too many testimonies and and statements from people who have a lot to lose. For sure, something is happening. So what is it that's happening? Uh, I'm reading a book right now by uh, Tom DeLonge and Peter LaVenda. Ah, You know, uh, it's called God's Man and War. Secret Machines. That's right. Mm -hmm. Man, fantastic book because it actually – it's actually confirming a lot of my thoughts on what I'm seeing with this alien agenda and this idea that maybe they're demonic. Maybe there's some kind of spiritual component. But like I said, I've got a few more books to read about it before I kind of like – come to a decent conclusion because you're right it's it's absolutely confusing Mm -hmm. what are we watching here one movie there are buddies the next movie they're (laughs) destroying us what are we to believe of this thing right and i mean i'm not a flat earther not at all a flat earther but when it comes to this angle one thing all those sci-fi and alien motifs have in common is whether they're good guys or bad it's projecting the idea that the cosmos is infinite full of other planets with intelligent life that's just zipping around and those ideas really do come from two places, Hollywood and NASA. And if we found out that we were in a closed system type of construct, that would be quite the mindfuck, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, you just said something that that's probably the best argument for the flat earth theory that I've ever heard. Because I don't put much weight into the flat earth theory myself because I've got a, a master's degree in science and 
some of the university I was with, we shot up satellites into space. And the whole, the whole idea of a satellite is based upon the laws of gravity and the fact that the earth is spherical and the satellite can get in a uh, geocentric orbit. So to me, it seems like that would take way too much coordination to, you know, fake the, the entire earth is flat idea. But man, I mean, who knows what to believe? I mean, uh, I mean who, are we, who are we taking our information from exactly? Right. And that's, that's the, the kind of mind exercise that I like about it is that you go up to the apex of these ideas that are all across culture and you find only a couple of people. But that is so interesting to say that you've actually been a part of a satellite launch because that's one of the big arguments is we're told there's these tens of thousands of satellites up there. We don't really have any, like if you Google image search, you won't find pictures of satellites in space that look legitimate. They're all like CGI or they look like really old technology that couldn't work. We're told the thermosphere is so damn hot that it's really hard to imagine that these things actually would work in that environment. And there's people like Eric Dubay, who leads the Flat Earth Movement, who says that when they shoot these rockets off at Cape Canaveral in Florida, they're just going up, 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 and then curving and going out into the ocean. And hmm. it's hard to say because I can't find the footage that really debunks a lot of the things that he says. And I'm just curious. I mean, this was obviously wasn't on the agenda, but as someone who's taken part in something like that well, and, and is open-minded, I'm just saying, can you look at that and like... Is it really something you saw that would debunk it, or was a lot of it kind of like outside of your observer effect? Let, let me clarify that statement. <laughs> I might have misspoke. I wasn't a part of that program. They were in the same College of Applied Sciences in the same building that I was Fair. in, and uh, I read about it. So ah, I, I okay. didn't have a personal observation that confirmed it, no. <laughs> I can't For seem sure. to talk to anyone of you who has. <laughs> right. Funny enough. But, but for sure, that's how, you know, that's how our GPS system works. I mean, I, I just believe that <laughs> for there to be a flat earth, there would be far too much coordination and people being involved in the lie. That's true. I agree with you. I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm just playing <laughs> so, devil's So controversial, advocate. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But another thing I wanted to ask you about, because time is going by quite fast you do note that clones are a big part of the Star Wars saga. You know, of course, the Clone Wars is there. And I know you've cited Donald Marshall as someone to maybe pay attention to in this area. I've had him on the Higher Side Chats, definitely one of the more wild episodes. But what are your thoughts on what Donald says about cloning centers and consciousness transfers and underground facilities in the night? Do you think there's some validity to what he says? Man, you know, when I read his stuff at first, I thought, Man, this this poor guy. I think he's got maybe some mental health issues or something. You know, and and I and I, and I don't. I'm not joking about that. I because I think that that there's a little bit of a mental health component to some people that make claims that are that out there that most of us can't understand. However, what grabbed me was that he has been talking about this. They call it the REM driven consciousness transfer. And I believe that that's an actual thing. That's what I wrote about in my very first book about maybe six, seven years ago. That is exactly where they're taking us. So I, I do believe that Donald Marshall may very well be a source of uh, factual information as, as out there and outlandish as it sounds, because that is the ultimate goal. 
if you look at this idea, I mean, it's hard for people to get their heads around it, but like the idea that we can take our consciousness, upload it into the cloud, and then transfer it or download it into some kind of robot or whatever you want to call it. That's exactly where they want to take us. There's patents out there for this idea. Facebook spent a lot of money on these things called mind files. It's this idea that you can take a person's memories, beliefs, thoughts, you know how they talk, how they sound, how they look. You can make a digital file that represents all of these things, upload it into a cloud or a database, whatever you want to call it. And then you can have a virtual reality where people are still alive in this virtual world. And from that, it's a small step into believing the consciousness transfer. Once they do that, once they master this idea of living immortal in a, a virtual reality, eventually they take it down the path that we see from Arthur C. Clarke's novels. Arthur C. Clarke, he was an alleged occultist of, of sorts. He wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey, which everyone knows about from Kubrick, which is, again, talking about the alchemical evolution of mankind and the creation of the star child. He wrote 2001, but then he also wrote three sequels. He wrote 2010, 2061, and 3001. Hmm. And if you read all of those, which I highly advise, outstanding books. I mean, I, I'm not a big fiction reader, but I couldn't put these down. You'll find that the same exact damn themes that we've been talking about forever, these conspiracies we've been talking about, they're all represented in these books. And to me, it seems like it follows this quote unquote Illuminati evolution of consciousness. It's where they want to take us. They want to evolve mankind into a new form of being such that the human species is no longer in existence because that's what happens. I mean, I don't want to spoil the plot of his books, but that's essentially what happens when he reveals this idea of a, a digitized form of life that screams across the universe for eternity. Hmm. Yeah, man, those themes are, are very strong and a whole lot of different fiction media. And I want to also ask you about Disney a little bit. Of course, they now own the uh, star Wars franchise, but what are your thoughts on them as an institution? Well, okay. So if you look at Disney, you find, you know, from a sort of 50,000 foot view, you find the the symbols that we've talked about so many times. We're talking about, you know, the all seeing eye, the triangle, that kind of stuff. In fact, I just had a guy email me some photos he took at Disneyland, which had a shocking amount of symbolism in them. I'm going to ask him if I can write an article about them. But this idea is that Disney, they're the ones that control the minds of the children. And just like we see from real life marketing from the fast food industry or uh, the cereal industry, they market towards children because they know that if they can get a child hooked into their product from a young age, they'll get more consumership from that person over their entire lifespan mm -hmm. you know and it's just kind of common sense you wouldn't want to market towards you know let's say a 70 or 80 year old you know they might only live another five to ten years you right. market to a five-year-old you're going to have 80 years worth of consumership from that child amen so you know you take that very basic idea 
of marketing. And you throw in the fact that Walt Disney was a Rosicrucian, that he studied these Egyptian mystery schools. Again, same idea, focus on alchemy, reconciliation of opposites, spiritual union with entities from another dimension, traversing the tree of life, what the alchemists called the journey of the planets, which we see in Star Wars as the Darth Vader, the Dayoth. We find out that Walt Disney is a member of the Order of de Molay, which is a Freemason group. But you find out that he is tied in with all of these allegations of what this quote-unquote Illuminati group is. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, throw in some more. <laughs> Disney, their entire product of every film and story they show us, they show us how the power of magic works how the things you can create with your mind can happen in the universe Mm -hmm. with enough focus, concentration. They give us films like Alice in Wonderland. These are films that are made to have children question the nature of reality from a young age, which is why why I blame I have this complex of (laughs) researching this stuff because that was literally the only Disney movie I saw as a child was Alice in Wonderland. Oh, uh, when really? my baby, <laughs> yeah, when my babysitters came over, I get to watch it because my parents wouldn't let me watch Disney. Really? <laughs> yeah, crazy, huh? Wow. So these these stories, they always have these themes of, of spells and magic and talking animals. And when you look into the occult belief systems, you'll find that these are all things that they believe in. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to deny what the Disney agenda is, you know, besides making money, obviously they're pretty good at that, but they always push this world of magic and how these ideas that mankind can control the universe through his own agenda, his own will. And then on top of that all, we've got this thing with the dead parents. Oh, yeah. There's always the, <laughs> there's always the dead parents in these films. And it's always, you know, Bambi, the mom gets shot, very traumatic. The same thing happens in Star Wars, which, you know, this is even pre-Disney procurement of the Star Wars Empire. Right. And post. You're right. Both. Exactly. (laughs) The the kids are are forced to either witness their parents' death or even kill them. Not to, not to give, I don't know who hasn't seen episode seven yet, but I'm not going to say what happens. It's been out for a year. All right. Good enough. Yeah. They kill him. They kill Han Solo. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but Kylo Ren, that's his own son and he's forced to kill his own father. I mean, how traumatic is that? Right. It's interesting, man. And yeah, you're right. That happens in so many different Disney movies. I mean, Bambi, Aladdin, Cinderella, Snow White, Jungle Book. It's always about orphans or people who lose their mother or have an evil stepmother specifically. It's a very interesting pattern. And the magic stuff is interesting that obviously it is in those Disney movies, teaching kids to question reality. I wonder if that's so bad because the the notion that consciousness drives reality, I actually think that probably is a, a pretty true, accurate description of things. And when I look at like introductory magic videos or, or books, an example they give is like if they're trying to make the point that consciousness drives reality, when you make a sandwich, you initially have the idea in your head, oh, I want a sandwich. You visualize it. You think about how it tastes. And then you go and you make yourself one. And really that is on a base level, 
your thoughts manifesting in reality. And reality might be some type of sandbox playground where we can have a lot more influence over the material world, but we've been denied the compounds that show us beyond the veil. We've been denied the rituals and the esoteric knowledge that kind of gives us that stuff. But then, yeah, you can look at the other side of the coin and say, well, that's Luciferian because man is trying to rise to the level of God. And then you can go back to the Gnostics and say, well, is God even a good figure? There is a creator of this universe, but who says he's a positive figure? I mean, he wants a blind servitude in a in an illusionary paradigm. Maybe Lucifer, the light bringer who elevates man, isn't so bad. And, may, then, and then you get into the transhumanism stuff and you're like, well, I don't know if we want to be merging with machines, but at the same time, technology is kind of what has lifted many, many people out of poverty, basically ended slavery. And so... It's uh, it's just tough to, to put moral judgments on some of this stuff. Yeah, they're very perplexing questions. And the sad part is we're all going to be forced to make decisions based on yes. this in the next 10 to 20 years. Let's see how well people want to stick to their guns when the transhuman revolution happens, because these people that use technology and utilize it to become somewhat immortal or extend their life 50 to 100 years, uh, you know, I don't know that. I'm strong enough to deny that. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be a tough decision to make. Amen. Amen. And the only other point I wanted to, to make about the killing the mother motif or the no parents motif is the counterpoint I've heard to that, because I've said it a lot of times, I've had Freeman and Freeman Fly and Jamie Hanshaw on the show talking about this stuff. Uh -huh. And I had people come back to me and say, well, this is because Disney films are just based on Shakespeare mythology and grim fairy tales. They all contain that stuff. So they're really just lifting their stories. And that could be mm. true. But another counterpoint to that would be they do pick their stories. And this theme is in everything. Right. And Shakespeare was supposedly was Francis Bacon, who was <laughs> one of the integrated ascended masters. Right. So he, he had occult tinges with him. What I've heard, I asked a, a woman who was taking theater arts, I think is what she was taking. But anyways, I asked her about this idea and she said, and it was a very rational response. She said that the films and these tales, they, they removed the parent component to the tales because it's simply easier that way. There's less character development to consider if you just remove the parents from it. Mm. 90 minutes. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it could be. But, I mean, you see it so much in the Star Wars tales. You see Jango Fett <laughs> beheads Mace Windu right in front of his son. Or, I'm sorry, yeah. I had that backwards. Mace Windu beheads Jango Fett in front of his son Boba Fett. You know, Anakin's mom dies right in his arms. Same with Vader and Luke. Yep. Yep. There's that. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's in a lot of stuff. I, I don't know that there's not some kind of agenda to show us the, the destruction of the family unit. Is that one of those Joseph Campbell archetypes? Mm -hmm. One of those classic, maybe immortal types of mythological tales mm -hmm. the the like rising up to kill the father. Yeah. There's all the archetype events that Joseph Campbell talked about. You see in the star Wars films, you got the, the birth, the death, and the separation from parents is the other one. And and how ironically, there's also the unionizing of opposites, which again, same thing, duality of the force, reconciliation of opposites, alchemical ideas. But uh, yeah, the archetype event of separating from the parents is most definitely in Joseph Campbell's work. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's obviously another one of those key sources for Lucas. Uh, there's plenty of quotes of him talking about the impact Joseph Campbell had and that he basically lifted a lot of the archetypes straight out of there. But, you know, we're about at that halfway point. I wanted to ask you about Beauty and the Beast specifically because it is one of the newest Disney movies out. Of course, it's just a rehashing. But you did break it down, and I thought you picked up on a lot of interesting elements. Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw there? Sure. Yeah. So I saw Beauty and the Beast. I actually saw the cartoon, the Disney cartoon video of it, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. But a lot of it seems to have sort of this symbolic language. It has a lot of these ideas I've talked about, like, again, the destruction of the the family unit, because in it, the mom's gone. So like, you've got the main character, Belle or Bella, I think it's Bella. Belle. And and Bell, okay. So she doesn't have a mother, non-existent. She's dead. We find out that she died, and the the father is uh, very upset about this. And he, in the tale, he allows the beast to kidnap his own daughter for his own safety, which hmm. again, this this instills doubt in the parent figures as far as a child's perspective goes. Yeah, as protectors. As protectors, right. So it basically says, look, don't don't rely on your family, which <laughs> ties us into the destruction of the family unit argument. Mm-hmm. As far as this particular movie, this 2017 movie, the big controversy they wanted us to believe in, which when I say they, I'm talking about like the mainstream media, which we all know we can't trust as far as we can throw them. There was a controversy over this character, LeFou, I think is how you pronounce his name. They say, you know, there's this there's this gay character in the movie and all of these theaters, they're banning it. And and if you wanted to believe that this was part of the destruction of the family unit, you could maybe use that argument. However, in the film, it's barely in there. I mean, I, I watched it and the part I mean, you could you could guess the guy was maybe homosexual, but like I'm a you know, thirty something year old man, I can tell, but like a, a child, I don't know how they could tell. Mm-hmm. I really do hate when political agendas are inserted and stuff like that. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I really think kids who are gay need to feel included. And it probably means so much more to them to see a connection like that Mm -hmm. than it means to anybody else. Or, you know, that I should be saying it's any kind of problem because it's got to be an isolating life as a minority, especially in that wheelhouse in particular. And Mm -hmm. there really isn't a whole lot of that stuff for them historically. Although now some people make the argument that there's too much, but the point is when it comes to little kids who are going through like really serious stuff and coming of age stuff, and they're trying to figure out what they are. I don't know that it's all that bad. And I, I agree entirely with that. I've got gay people in my family, transgender in my family. We all knew from a young age, you know, when they were young, Everyone knew they were different, you know, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And and if you look at the pure statistics of the thing is you've got elevated rates of, of suicide and depression with people that are come from that community simply because of the shame aspect in it. So I agree with you that to insert it into a film, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think to start talking about protesting it and all this just puts more light on the subject of, you know, the thing that they're worried about, they're actually perpetuating to make it worse. Yeah, right? I mean, no one would notice if it wasn't a big story. Right, and I I, I don't really know what the, the purpose of that is, but in the, the film, what my argument is that this is, again, another Luciferian tale. 
in the song, they say it's a tale as old as time. Mm. And in it, we're supposed to find the beast in Deering. And the beast is analogous to various satanic ideas. Obviously, you've got the beast 666, Aleister Crowley. The beast looks akin to the Moloch character that we've heard about so often that demanded the blood sacrifices back in the pagan days of Mesopotamia. You know, you could go on and on about all these analogies of the beast with satanic sort of dark heroes. Mm -hmm. So again, just from a higher perspective, you can just say that the beast is the endearing rebel angel, the fallen hero, the dark hero in this tale. Yeah. And uh, I think you mentioned that Crowley has described the beast as looking like a serpent mixed with a lion. And that very much looks like the character in the Disney cartoon and film. And uh, I also like the point you've made about Lumiere, this candlestick guy, who his role is to say that maybe the beast isn't so bad. And it's very much like Lucifer. He is a goddamn candle. He is a light bringer. <laughs> so I think that kind of symbolism is kind of interesting to parse out. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it, if you look at the tarot card deck that you see this beast on, on the, uh, the Crowley Thoth deck, or Thoth deck, I should say, you can see it looks very similar to the beast from beauty and the beast. And we saw the same beast. Katy Perry came out on in the super bowl in 2015. Again, it's many of these ideas. They don't seem like a big deal, but if you approach it from multiple angles, these subtle symbols that go into the subconscious as Carl Jung spoke about, and they talk to us on a subconscious level and connect us with this sort of ancient archetypal field of belief systems that the Illuminati or the occultists understand and believe in. And they're trying to bridge, you know, these archaic remnants, they call it. They're trying to bridge that into our world. Mm -hmm. You know, I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not the guy to look to for philosophical life <laughs> advice. I'm, <laughs> I just see stuff in entertainment that's occult related and I report on it. Amen. Let people kind of make their own, truth out of it yeah and you do a great job man you do a great job thanks thanks greg i don't know where i am with this stuff but when you look at the data that you pull out i think the data is is spot on man thanks so yeah that pretty much does it for us we covered quite a bit of stuff you know i do like the work you do pop culture analysis it is a lot of fun for me if nothing else but Clearly, there are a lot of under-the-radar messages, and we would be better served by studying them and at least understanding them, you know, whatever the motivations may be. So thanks again. Do tell the people where they can get more of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, thanks again for having me on. This is by far my favorite conspiracy-related podcast. This is the best. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, and, and my, my whole goal, if I was to have a uh, – sort of mission statement is I just want people to become aware of what's going on. I think a lot of people are deceived and manipulated into doing things that aren't necessarily congruent with their true beliefs or goals in life. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I try not to pass judgment on any of these things. I Sometimes I get a tinge of my personal opinion in there, but I try not to be overbearing with it. That being said, if people want to learn more, IlluminatiWatcher.com is my website on it. You can sign up for a free email newsletter in which I spoon feed sort of articles from the archives of examples of just what we were talking about today. I've got a YouTube channel. It's very popular. Illuminati watcher one is the YouTube tag. 
I've got a Twitter feed, Instagram, Facebook. You can find all that through IlluminatiWatcher.com. I've got a shop tab on my website. You can buy books directly from me that I can sign and mail to you. You can buy them on Amazon. In fact, what I wanted to tell the listeners was on May 4th, 2017, I'm going to be having this free book giveaway for the Star Wars Conspiracy, the book I, I started talking about. That'll run from May 4th until, I believe, May 9th is the last day. But I'd advise them to please get it, download it for free, take a look, see what they think, see if they see the same symbols and ideas that I'm talking about. I guarantee they will. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's kind of like what I want people to take away from this is to look at the world through a different lens. Noble goal for sure, man. I couldn't agree more. So awesome. Yeah. Star Wars, Alice in Wonderland, Beauty and the Beast, Westworld, the Grammys. We did it. We did it. Very cool. Isaac. <laughs> Take care of yourself out there. Well, thank you. You too. You got it. The power of Christ compels you people. Boom. Isaac Weishaupt making the triumphant return to THC. It's pretty clear the Star Wars saga is a blending of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey motif and belief systems of mystery traditions. I find it interesting, especially the Darth connection to the Da'ath Sephiroth on the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. I always want to say Sephiroth because of Final Fantasy, but it's those details that I enjoy. But Isaac and I do differ on how serious or dangerous that might be which I think goes back to the demonization of magic by the church. Of course, it's all up to interpretation here, but when the Star Wars saga starts, and the theme is to bring balance to the Force, there are no good active Jedi left. Only old Ben and Yoda who are in exile, and the Empire is just an unchecked force in the galaxy. So there is a need for balance, but Isaac is probably right in that there is something to that subtle message that their actions seem... Like, the goal is to eradicate evil, but the message is restoring balance to the Force. You could take the Bill Hicks approach, that it's all just a ride, and you actually need evil to know good. You need cold to know warmth. You need black to know white. And that we're all just acting out of play, and so it's not so bad. But, I don't know, though. It could be a nod to this campaign people talk about to make evil seem cool, to fill media with sex and violence, to numb or desensitize us, and... Then you could throw in the transgender stuff and how it's now cool to be gender fluid. And a big slice of conspiracy researchers think the goal is to slowly normalize this stuff until eventually they've normalized pedophilia. And then they can come out in the open with their unsavory habit of fucking kids. That is one possibility. But when I source a lot of that perspective back to conservative Christians, I wonder if this is a true proper analysis or the injection of their beliefs on the wider culture, which doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just a bias that I don't share. What if the elite are slowly trying to normalize pedophilia, but it's more because they want to take the air out of the blackmail they're controlled by from behind the curtain? You know, you film George W. Bush coked up and banging kids when he's in college at a Skull and Bones party. And then when you elevate him to president, you just remind him of those good old days in the Skull and Bones basement and inform him of what his agenda will be. How could a political class get out of a situation like that other than making their nefarious actions less taboo? That's another perspective. It doesn't justify anything. It's not making excuses. It's just possibilities that are different from what we might hear every day. But when it comes to magic, 
I do get people writing me saying that I need to stop exploring this stuff because it's bad and evil, and they quote Crowley talking about blood rituals, and I get that stuff. But I guess my attitude is, we as people are always trying to work towards our goals, our freedom, and a better life, and all that good stuff. We do it every day, or we should. Now, most of us don't want to hurt anyone in that process. For example, let's say you own a pizza place in town, and there's another pizza place that does just about as good as you. You both have half the market for pizza in this town. A lot of us will be happy with that. We got a good business, no threats of being shut down. Everything is good. Sure, you can always do better, so you spend money on advertising and making sure your customer service is on point, and you do everything you can to grow. Nothing wrong with that. But the personality type that we have among the elite would not be happy with that. They want it all. So they look at that competition and they hire a team to go in and create a gas leak. And then when the owner's in the back, they blow that place sky high. Now they have a monopoly and their pizza place reigns supreme. So not just in magic, but in life. It's all about what you're willing to do. And let's apply that to magic. What's wrong with creating and enchanting sigils trying to improve the luck of your pizza place? What's wrong with making offerings of water and rum to your ancestors or other spirits, asking them to open up doors of success for you? There are a lot of spirits, just like there are a lot of people. And sure, magic probably can scale up to working with some really nasty entities who demand the rape and death of children to make a deal with them. But you don't have to go there, just like you don't have to blow up your competition either. So we can see that there are people who would rape and murder. Does that mean we should avoid interacting with all people or just those people? Same goes for magic and spirits, if you ask me. We shouldn't avoid all of it just because it can get pretty nasty at the extremes. I hope that makes sense. You can probably get some very nefarious results and be a cold, cutthroat motherfucker motivated only by greed, whether you use the magical toolbox or just use your own sick, twisted mind. This is kind of my problem with capitalism or crony capitalism or corporatization, whatever you want to call it, is that our system, whether it's the limited liability aspects for corporations or maybe it's just the legal mandate to put shareholder profits over the moral good and public health, the point is, if you look at the leading corporations or leaders in almost every field, it is those people who would blow up the competing pizza place. So how do you get rid of that incentive? That would be pretty hard. I think we should remove corporations and make every company's owner fully accountable for the actions of their business, that's the only way I can think of. Only the risk of severe punishment would actually keep cold-hearted psychopaths in check. Because it's always a cost-benefit analysis, and if we're not catching people, then they see serious upsides to nefarious deeds. People talk about getting rid of money entirely. I don't know about that. I do think that when it comes to petty crime, a lot of it happens out of necessity and severe economic pressures. If your family is starving at home and you have a chance to rob a rich guy at the ATM, do you just let your family starve? I mean, I get that. And I think that is the type of crime and violence we can actually stop with good social programs. We need safety nets that are more appealing than a jail cell. In fact, let me tell you a story here that I don't think I've told on the air before. It speaks to this point as well as an unrelated point that sometimes we find that things in our lives make a lot of sense given the path we're on. But I found out fairly recently through an exploration of my ancestors for the sake of magic 
that my mom had a brother who died before I was born that she never really talked about. Turns out my mom's brother Bob was gay, and because of pressures from his military father, he joined the Navy. Well, somewhere along the line, he got charged with sodomy, which in the 70s and 80s is basically being charged as being gay. And I don't know how he got caught, but I'm guessing it might have something to do with serving in the Navy. So there's a trial and he's found guilty and is given a choice between jail and corrective therapy in a mental hospital. And he chooses the latter and for the next several years undergoes electric shock therapy and other forms of mental hospital torture and brain scrambling. But when he served his time, my parents are the ones who go and pick him up. And my mom says he was completely broken and just never the same from those experiences. And a side note, that's something the elite and the system would do to all of us. And they use labels like gay to get us to be less compassionate when they do it to a certain type of person. And that's a big reason why we should reject those divisions. But they messed him up so badly that he couldn't get a job or make any sort of normal living. So he kind of drifted for a while from gig to gig set up by family and friends and ultimately felt like he just couldn't handle the outside world. So he got a gun, and he went and tried to rob a bank. Now, my mom says he wasn't really trying to succeed, but he was just going through the motions to get sent to jail where he could have a roof and a bed and meals. But after the trial, the judge sentenced him to go back to that mental facility where he said, fuck that place, and he just killed himself. So my big gay Uncle Bob, who I'll never know, that is his story. And it relates for a few reasons. We need more compassion for people who fall through the cracks, especially when the system is responsible for making it happen in the first place. Also, we touched on homosexuality in the show. It comes up when we're talking about ritual habits of the elite, magic, and liberal agendas, and Disney, and all that. And again, I like to call out manipulation and cultural agendas, but I'm never going to say there's anything wrong with being gay fuck that, there isn't, and I'm glad Isaac is on the same page there. How can we recognize the elite's conspiracy to keep us fighting amongst ourselves and then discriminate against a group like that? It just seems dumb. And third, it's interesting because I have felt sort of pulled to this conspiracy world for a long time. Like, if there is a destiny or a true will, I think I'm very close to serving mine. And the more I look at events in my life or impactful elements in the lives of my family, that even I didn't know about, I feel more purpose in this mission and this career that I sort of stumbled into. So that story relates to crimes of necessity, of poverty, and I do think we can really do something about that. But I am sick of looking at every corporate field or market and seeing criminals that definitely don't need to be. The tech sector, Apple and Microsoft, plenty to criticize there. Apple hires third-party slave labor, and Microsoft is the brainchild of one of the leading eugenicists on the planet. Both companies, by the way, stole technology and fucked over their friends and partners to get ahead. The food sector, Monsanto, major factory farm companies, Kraft, Coke, and Pepsi, people willing to suspend their morals to make their food addictive, harmful, and void of nutrients. Medicine? No surprise here. Rockefeller, Glasgow Smith-Klein, Merck, Pfizer, and Bayer? How many of us still take aspirin on occasion? This is a company who knowingly sold HIV-contaminated blood to second and third world markets because destroying it would be too costly. A company that did that 
is still on the shelves of every pharmacy, every CVS and Walgreens, and is one of the leading providers of medicine, and we still buy it. So I don't know. I think the concerns about magic are really just concerns about cold, psychopathic, predatory personality types, but we scapegoat magic because it's weird and we don't understand it and we only see it used behind the curtain. And I didn't plan this, but I'm actually walking into a great callback right now in that maybe we need to restore some balance to magic. Maybe the world is largely in the same state we find the Star Wars universe in, in A New Hope. Only evil people are using these tools. Maybe we need good people to revive the esoteric arts, and maybe if we re-enchant the world in a mainstream way, things wouldn't be so one-sided. But what do I know? If you like the first hour, please sign up for Plus to support this journey, and really, just to get yourself a second hour of these THC episodes that you know you love. I think you should do it for yourself more than me, but in today's Plus show, we talked about award show symbolism and the Grammy Awards breakdown, Kim and Kanye, Adele and Beyonce, Katy Perry and the Illuminati, Johnny Depp being a vampire, the United Airlines incident that just happened, and Isaac's breakdown of it being a psyop, and we discussed the AdSense crackdown, removing these people's ability to make a living. There are a lot of people and YouTubers upset right now who have depended on that structure to make a living. And it does seem like if the elite want to crush independent alternative voices, this is how they're doing it now. It's part of the fake news movement, and we did talk about that a little bit. Luckily, I learned a little bit about websites, and I built my own structure outside of AdSense and Patreon because I really didn't want to be dependent on something that can go away. Being reliant on the grid staying up is scary enough. Net neutrality issues, I don't know if I'll be able to do this in two decades. So please sign up for THC Plus while you can. Oh, and another thing that you will hear in the Plus show is the weird Skype anomaly where Isaac's voice cut out and music from an unknown origin cut in. And I sat there confused for a few minutes until Isaac's voice came back and the music went away as if it never happened. And I use Skype quite often and I can't say I've ever experienced anything like that. It wasn't I guess, super freaky or anything, but it was interesting enough that I just decided to leave it in during the editing process. And that did happen in the second hour. But either way, big thanks to Isaac for being here. He's running a May the 4th special on his book. Do take advantage of that if you're interested. IlluminatiWatcher.com. And I'm going to get out of here. I've done my part. Your move, culture manipulators, esoterica injectors, and movie magic makers. Your... Fucking...